John. So I guess our music this morning didn't work quite as well as last week. There were moments. We're tried. We're tried. But as I said, the, the, the one song that I wanted us to give attention to this morning over these couple of weeks, so we're going to have to get it right because we're going to sing it again next Sunday on a holy night. So go home and practice it, okay? Especially that bit at the end and the end of the chorus, O night divine. How many times do you sing that and all those funny bits? It's the drummer. That's the fault. It, it is always the drummer's fault. <laughs> so let me give, give you just a little bit of history on that song because it's got a really cool history. The history of the song of Holy Night. Um, it involves um, a, a socialist, a Jew, and an abolitionist, which sounds like the beginning of a very bad joke. Um, it involves a countrywide band and a landmark moment in the history of communication, all out of this little song. The story of the song starts in 1847 in, the little, in a small little French town with a gentleman by the name of Placide Capot de Rocmery. There will be a test afterwards this morning. Um, and he held the title in his little town of the Commissioner of Wines. Doesn't that sound like a cool job to have, the Commissioner of Wines? Placide was not a churchgoer, although he would attend occasionally, but not long after this, he actually abandoned church altogether and became a socialist. But at the time, he was a well-known poet in the area, in the town, and the local priest asked him to write a poem for Christmas Mass. And so he wrote this song in French, he wrote the poem. But he, he was so enamored by the poem that he wrote that he thought it would go better, probably after a couple of glasses of wine, thought it would go better with some music behind it. So Placide contacted his composer friend, a man by the name of Adolphe Charles Adams. Adams had studied in Paris, he'd worked with ballets and orchestras around the world, and he was Jewish. So the words of the song, the meaning behind the song, were kind of meaningless to him. He, as a Jewish person, he had no interest in Jesus whatsoever. <coughs> but he wrote the music for the song, and so on Christmas Eve, 1847, this song debuted at a midnight mass in a little village in France, with the lyrics written by a socialist who had no interest in the church, and the music written by a Jewish guy who had no clue what he was actually writing about. Not someone who didn't even believe in Jesus. And of course, that being the case, the song was a major hit. The song spread around France over the next couple of years, and it found its way into Catholic church services at, at Christmas time over the next few years. But someone in church in the church hierarchy did his homework and learned a little bit about the of the somewhat sketchy history of the songwriters. And the song was immediately banned in France. The heads of the Catholic Church said that the song was unfit for church services because of its lack of musical taste and its total absence of the spirit of religion. So I'm not quite sure which bit of the song was not religious enough for them, but anyway. And so they banned the song in France. But even though the song was banned, it, was, it continued to be popular. People sang it anyway, probably under their breath. Um, and it actually made its way across the sea to America, and a guy by the name of John Sullivan Dwight 
um, he fell in love with the song and thought that this is a wonderful song that all America should be singing. But not only because it told the story of the birth of Jesus. He was excited, in particular, by those lines in the second verse, or the last verse that we read, that we sang this morning. The, the lines that go like this: "Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace." And then it was this bit: "Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease." You see, John was an abolitionist. He was fervently opposed to slave trade. And so for that reason, he made the song popular, published in magazines all over the place, and the song very quickly became a Christmas favorite, in particular in the North, during the Civil War. And so the people in the North during the Civil War would sing this song more for the abolitionist aspect of it than anything else. Meanwhile, back in France, although the song is banned, it's still gaining in popularity, and then this night is like rumor and legend, and maybe this may or may not be true, but there's a, a legend that on the Christmas Eve in 1871, while there's fighting between Germany in the, in the Franco-Prussian War, between France and Germany essentially, a French soldier on Christmas Eve jumped out of his foxhole without his weapons, hands in the air, and sang the first verse of Our Holy Night. When he got to the end of that verse, one of the guys on the German side stepped out of his foxhole and he sang the first verse of one of Martin Luther's songs, From Heaven Above to Earth I Came. And apparently they enjoyed a ceasefire for Christmas Day, all because some French guy got up and sang Our Holy Night. Power of music to bring hope into our weary and war-torn world. But the story isn't over. 1906. A 33-year-old professor, a guy who actually used to work for Thomas Edison, a gentleman by the name of Reginald Fessenden, did something that up until this point people had thought impossible. He used a new type of generator, spoke into a microphone, and for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the radio, over airwaves. Here's what he said in that very first radio broadcast. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be taxed. He read from Luke chapter, uh, chapter 2, in those first seven verses, he read the story of the birth of Christ. So you've just got to think about this, right? You're, a, you're on a ship somewhere in the ocean, and you've got your earphones on, and all you used to hearing is Morse code. All you ever hearing is beep, 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 beep. That's all you ever hear, right? Or you're in some telegraph office somewhere, on wherever, and all, that's all you've ever heard in your earphones is beep, 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 and you decode it. And here you are, sitting waiting for beep, beep, beep to come, and instead, you hear a voice in the year of Caesar Augustus, a decree winner. I mean, we don't, I don't think we're blown away by it quite as much, but I can imagine the guys ripping the earphones off going, What's going on? I've got a demon in my headset, or maybe an angel, I don't know. But, after Mr. Fessenden had finished reading Luke chapter 2, he picked up his violin and played Our Holy Night. And Our Holy Night becomes the very first song to be broadcast over radio. The very first number one Christmas radio hit <laughs> in 1906, Our Holy Night. 
Mariah Carey ruined it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, did she even sing it? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so that's a long story about the Holy Love. But I think it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Quite an interesting story about that song. And my, as I said earlier this morning, my attention to that song is really drawn by those words in that first verse. The thrill, a, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Because I just think that our world is weary right now. Tom alluded to it earlier. I've spoken to people in our church over the last couple of weeks. And people are tired. We're just tired. We're tired of this year. We've got a new phrase in the English language. COVID fatigue. Because we are. We're fatigued. We're done. We're over it. Talked to Leanne this morning while we're sitting on chairs. And she's just like, we're all over it. We're just all tired of this whole, this is whole year. We're all irritable and on edge. Can we just get on with it? We're, we're just weary. And so, Christmas theme for the next couple of weeks. The thrill of hope, the weary world will rejoice. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 63 and see a weary land. Next week we're going to consider how not to grow weary. And then on Christmas morning, a thrill of hope. So that's, that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. So turn to Psalm 63 if you will. If you've got it with you. Um, I thought I could put it on the screen. Greg is on the board. Well done. Um, I didn't bother because we weren't going to have any power this morning. But let me just give you a little bit of background to this song, right? David is on the run. Now Absalom, his son, has staged a coup. And Absalom has kicked his father out of the land. So David has had to flee for his life. And the only reason that David is able to actually escape is for some, because of some bad advice that Absalom has given. Epson has two advisors. The one guy says, let's go and get David straight away. The other guy says, no, 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 you can't just chase David. I mean, David's a warrior. You need to build an army. And what Epson doesn't know is that this guy's actually uh, on David's side. He's like a secret infiltrated spy trying to work for David here. And Epson takes that guy's advice. He goes, you know, you're right. You can't just chase David. I need to build an army. And so they wait. And that gives the opportunity for David to get away. And as David's sneaking out of the city, a bunch of priests catch up with David, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they say, we're coming with you, David. And David says, no, no, the Ark must stay in Jerusalem. That's where it stays. You can't drag around the countryside with me. And he sends them back into the city, and David then goes off and finds himself in the desert. And that's where we find this song uh, being written, taking place, out in the wilderness, out in the desert, far away from the city. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise Him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So, 
what I really want to do this morning is actually just focus on that first verse. We could preach the whole stuff, but I'm just going to preach that first verse. We'll, we'll pick up some of the other stuff as we go. But to give our attention to that first verse this morning, actually to work backwards through it in reverse. Right? So it starts off with that phrase, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So David's in the wilderness. It's a barren landscape. A couple of years ago, our family went on holiday, I've told you this before, but we went up through the northern Cape. We've never done it before. Others of you, I'm sure, have been up there. And you drive through Puff Adder and Springbuck, and it's, it's barren. There is nothing. It's like, it's, it's like being on the moon. It's this lunar landscape. There's just rocks. Nothing grows. It's just, I mean, it, it's, it's hauntingly beautiful. I found it spectacular. But it's hot, empty, silent, barren, dry. It's not the sort of place that, at this time of year that I'd want to go for a walk in because it's just, man, it's just empty. And that's kind of the land that David finds himself in. And he describes it as a, a weary land. And, and it's like, we get how we can be weary, but how does the land be weary? But I, I think you kind of get the image, right? It's when, that, when the heat bakes down and there's a, there's a shimmer in the air, and it just seems like the life has been sucked out, the energy has been sucked out, not just out of the people, but out of the landscape itself. Nothing grows. There's no, there's no life. It's like, I have in my mind this image of the shimmer, and I can see a, a chemsbok uh, standing in the distance with its head down, and just standing there, and just with its you know, horns, and it's just looking tight. No mood. Weary. I think that describes this year. <laughs> Just weary. Life sucked out of it. I mean, the years didn't start too badly. There was a rumor of an outbreak of some kind of virus in China, but it wasn't a big deal. We went down to Cape Town, abandoned Bryony at university, and uh, while we were there, Doug was saying, oh, brother-in-law, he was saying that you know, he's got a co-worker in China at the moment in a place called Wuhan. Never heard of Wuhan before, but he's in this place. And, and they're in lockdown at the moment. We're like, oh, that's bizarre. That's weird. How strange. We came home. Who would have thought six, eight weeks later, we too would be in lockdown? And then when the lockdown came, it was going to be, ah, this will just be a couple of weeks, be, you know, two or three weeks, and we'll be back to normal. And it just went on and on. It's just drag for all of us, hasn't it? For a lot, work has changed. The way we do work has changed. School changed. The way we do school changed. The way we do university changed. The way as parents we had to deal with school had to change. Everything's changed. And it's the, the year, because of the COVID, things just added burdens to us, hasn't it? Some of you are still trying to catch up from the income that, that you missed out on. And then as if COVID wasn't enough, we had the whole George Floyd thing that blew up in America, and that led to the whole Black Lives Matter movement that spread around the world, and the chaos that that brought, and it was a, a good reminder of, of what we need to be thinking of, but it led to all sorts of chaos. And then even though we live here, I think a lot of us have ended up with election fatigue, which is done with American politics, right? Tired of hearing about it. And now we've got to deal with ESCOM, although thank goodness they put the lights on for us today. They heard my cry last night going, ah, oh, 
But we're back to that. And I think the feeling of many of us is, can this year just please end? We're tired of it. We're, we're weary. Speaking to some of our teachers, we're just saying, ah, oh, this year has been a nightmare. And just when we think that, can we just, you know, like drive where we land, there is no water, just when we think maybe there's a hint of cool water for us, we're hearing the rumors that maybe there won't be. We won't be able to get to the beaches to cool off even. We're waiting, Cyril's having a, a discussion today with various members of parliament to decide what terms of stringent lockdown we may have to face over the next couple of weeks. And you're just like, ah.
where I want to be. Teachers don't want the kids in on alternate days. Parents don't want to try and figure out what to do with their kids and how to drop them off and pick them up. And we want the old normal, please. We want business, or some of us do anyway, I think, want business back the way it was. Can we just reset this year? Can we just reinstall it virus-free? A lot of us long for the, the good old days. The good old days of last year. <laughs> we're living, we're currently living in a world of remember when. Remember when we could go to the shops without wearing a mask. Remember when we could go to the shops without having to have our hands sprayed with some nasty stuff that's going to dissolve the skin. I don't know. Remember when. We long for those days. And for David, he's just saying it's, it's body and soul. So I'm not sure about you, but I, I think there's a lot of people that are physically tired. You're just physically done. Our bodies are weary and we need a holiday. But there's a lot that are emotionally tired too. Emotionally drained. Because it's been a, a year that has just sucked the emotions out of you. A lot of you are mentally tired. You think too much. Stop thinking. Don't overthink things. Just, you know, switch your brain off for a moment. A lot of people have said to me, they're, they're spiritually tired. Spiritually weary. People have said Church online is just not the same as church together. And to be honest, at the moment, church together is just not the same as what church together used to be like eight months ago. So it, it's taken us, toppled us spiritually too, I think. And for many of us, we're weary in body and soul. And our body and our soul long for something more, for something better, for something that will satisfy, for something that will renew the dry, barren landscape that we feel like we're in. But do you notice what it is that David's body and soul longs for? For you. For his God. And so again, you've got to just think, what is it that David has lost, right? What would you expect him to want? I'm in the desert. I long for my palace and a comfy bed. I'm reduced to hunting for lizards. I long for a plump chicken. I am reduced to squeezing the sweat out of my socks. I long for a cold bottle of wine, right? Or maybe David just misses the routine of ruling Israel, as he's done. And instead here he is having to uh, fight to simply exist. Those would be the sort of things I'd be looking at. But it's not the thing that David says, I long for the most. My soul longs for you. My body longs for you. There is a physical yearning for God and for God's presence. For my body to be in the presence of God. For my body to be with your people in the tabernacle. And even though that offered to bring the ark with him that would represent the presence of God, get David says, no, that belongs in Jerusalem. And David just saying, I want it to be back there. I want it to be with God's people. And I, I want to be in his presence. And there is a body ache to that. 
in the midst of all that we've lost this year, in the midst of all the things that have been pushed aside, and a year where so much has been put on hold of, of not seeing family and being isolated from friends, here's what David considers to be his greatest desire. The presence of God. I know what your greatest longing is at the moment. For me, I've got a little bit of a list. I could have spent more time thinking this through. But some of the things that I wouldn't mind, for Christmas to be normal. Not the new normal, old normal. To be able to stop wearing a mask. I want the Proteus to finish a cricket match. And perhaps even win one. Uh, that is pushing my luck, I know, I know. But David's greatest desire, in the face of great loss, and in the face of major life change, in the midst of his weariness, is the presence of God. My body longs for you, my soul thirsts for you, my God. What is your soul thirst for? I mean, we all have a soul thirst, and we, we all try and slake that thirst with something, whether it's a hobby, or a relationship, or perhaps it's with success and approval, or we seek, you know, comfort and power or control, whatever it is. We all, all look at all sorts of things to satisfy ourselves. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he says to her, ask me for water and I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. And you remember the backstory of that woman? Five husbands and now living with a guy that she's not married to. It kind of gives us some clue into what her soul was thirsting for. And we can take a few guesses acceptance, love, approval, just a relationship, provision and security. Maybe it was just sex. And it's clear that she hadn't found what she was looking for in her serial polygamy. And Jesus says, I can quench your thirst. Jeremiah tells the people of Israel, he says, you've been drinking from broken cisterns. So they have these big tanks to collect rainwater, but now they've got holes in them, and they're leaking out and allowing bad stuff to leak in. And he says, you're drinking out of that. You're drinking dirty water. It's like our cat sometimes goes and drinks out the toilet. And cats are disgusting creatures, aren't they? They really are. They're gross. But sometimes we're not all that different. Because we go to all the wrong places to satisfy our longings and our thirsts. Perhaps David in the desert is reflecting and realizing that his time of affluence and power in Jerusalem had perhaps shifted things for him. Perhaps there's a moment where he was satisfying himself with his, his power and control. We certainly know that in a moment of affluence, David went and satisfied himself at the well of Bathsheba. But those are just broken wells. They, 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 it's drinking from the toilet. All it does is create a deeper longing for a deeper thirst within us. And now, in the desert, David says, my soul longs for you. And you may not know it, you may not be aware of this, but your soul longs for God. It does. And we often try and meet that longing with other things to never, and be never satisfied. So, so, 
some of you know this, right? That pregnant women have bizarre cravings. I don't know some of you ladies who have had children, and some of the bizarre things that you long for. You read stuff, right? That people, the, the, the ladies, in fact, sorry, um, according to Harvard Medical School, we no longer talk about ladies, we talk about birthing people. Politically correct, right? Um, birthing people. <laughs> um, so, so I, I, you read things about ladies who have, have, have a craving for chalk, and they eat chalk, or a craving for mud, and they literally go and eat dirt out of the ground, right? Or, or suck on a stone, just bizarre things, or eat paper. Apparently, what's going on in the body is that the body wants protein, and yet the signals get mixed. And so the ladies go and eat all sorts of bizarre stuff. Apparently, just eat some cheese and you'll be fine, apparently. I don't know if that's true or not, but it works for my illustration, okay? We have many bizarre cravings, but they're all cross signals. Trying to satisfy the true craving for His presence within us. And your body and your soul may crave many things, and in your weariness you may think that what you really need is 2019 all over again, but what you really need is Jesus. And so that first phrase, and it's, we wrap it up here, where, where David says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. And so in the midst of his loss, the lost kingdom, his lost son, his lost wives, his lost power, his lost, his lost wealth, everything that he's lost, the one thing that he hasn't lost, is God. You are my God. And in the midst of all that you may have lost this year, your income, your friendships, the human connection, the one thing that is not lost is your God. And don't you love how, how personal this is for David? It's not the God of my fathers. It's not the God of Abraham. It's not the God of the priests. My God. My God. There's a, there's a possession, a possessiveness here. Not, so, not, not necessarily an exclusive thing, but just a, a sense of He is of 2020, when we're dry and barren and empty and lifeless, He is your God. He is for you. And so David says, earnestly, I will seek you. David is all about earnestly seeking God. And so again, the question has got to be asked, what do you seek? Fame, fortune, and romance, right? And it's not just what do you seek, but what do you earnestly seek? What do you set up as the kind of the, the end goal to life? What's, what's the trophy that you're running for? What is it that we really, really want to achieve? What do we spend our energies chasing? To what extent are we pursuing God and seeking Him? Not seeking Him like hide and seek because He's hidden somewhere, we've lost Him, but simply in the pursuit of knowing Him more. So again, the one thing that David misses is the tabernacle, the presence of God. Meeting with Him. Do we long for Him? Is that the longing of our soul? And the rest of the psalm just really fills that in. And David says things like, Your love is better than life. Paul says the same thing. I wish that you could know with all the saints the height and breadth, breadth the length and depth of the love that Christ has for you. David says, in the midst of this thirst and longing and emptiness and weariness, David says, my soul will be satisfied. Satisfied with the richest things. The way it's written in the Hebrews, my soul will be satisfied with the fat and the marrow, which doesn't work well in our health conscious society. We don't like the whole health, um, fat and marrow thing, but 
Think of Wagyu steak. So I read this week about Wagyu steak. Um, it's a very fancy kind of steak, it's a Japanese thing, but there are Wagyu steak all over the world. And South Africa has recently just crossbred a Wagyu cow with some other kind of cow. And, and uh, it got slaughtered on the weekend, and all, I don't know, it's sitting in a butchery somewhere right now. And Wagyu steak is steak that has beautiful marbling through the steak, a marbling effect. So, so you, you get your steak, you get a nice piece of fat on the outside, and then if you look at the steak, a proper Wagyu steak, you see it's lots of nice and red. There's these, there's these lines, there's these white lines that run right through, and it's the fact that when you cook it, it melts and dissolves into them and just makes it blah blah blah. It's like cool. Mm. Mm. Um, so, this particular piece of steak, this cow at the moment, they're looking to put it on auction and they're expecting to get a thousand rand a kilogram for this way you steak. And that's what David's kind of saying here, that my soul will be satisfied with the very richest of food. And then he says that my soul will cling to you. In the midst of the barren and dry wilderness, my soul clings to God. But to cling is such a desperate word, isn't it? It's not just hold on, it's not just hang on with a hand. It's that, that to, to cling like a limit, my soul clings to him. And so, a weary world Rejoices. Well, I don't know about rejoicing just yet, but we're certainly in that weary world, and there's a weariness to us. But there is hope for the weary soul. For the soul that clings to him, the soul that earnestly seeks him, will find him and will find satisfaction. And will find a thirst quenched and a weariness lifted. Because here's the promise of Jesus, right? All who are thirsty, come and drink. Here's the promise of God in Isaiah. All who are thirsty, come and drink. Here's the promise of Jesus to the woman at the well. Come and drink and never be thirsty again. The promise of Jesus to us. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls, is what he says. He is your God. And he will satisfy you and give you rest as you draw near to him. So here's my closing challenge to end with today. Challenge for the week ahead. Chrysostom was a preacher. Lived about 100, 150 years after the death of Jesus. And he was called Golden Tongue because he was the greatest preacher of his age. He said that this song should be read every morning. So, there's a challenge. Not some kind of chant to happiness, but for you, at the end of a wearying year, this week, to wake up each morning and take one minute, I'm sure that's all it'll take, unless you're a really slow reader and you're one of those people who can't read and someone cuts your finger off, maybe then two minutes. Um, but it's not going to take you long. And each morning, for the next seven days, to start the day reading this song and being reminded and the dry and weary land for dry and weary souls. He is our source of satisfaction. And that in seeking Him, our weary souls will find rest. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning we come again acknowledging that we are weary, that we are tired, that we, your people, are, we're done. <laughs> Many of us are physically tired, we're emotionally exhausted, we're mentally 
we're, we're mentally fatigued, and a lot of us are just feeling spiritually on the edge. We feel dry and weary. And yet, Lord, we come to you this morning, earnestly seeking, earnestly longing for you. Refresh, renew, and restore us, O oh Lord, we pray. As we look with hope to our God and Savior, refresh and restore your people, O oh Lord. Amen. I think there is some coffee and tea if anybody would like to stay for some this morning.